Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Amy Webb. We're talking about her work, The Genesis Machine. Amy, right before the break, we were talking about synthetic biology ridding the planet of disease. Not quite going to happen, is it? Uh, No, no. It, It will at some point start to eradicate disease for sure. In fact, there are messenger RNA vaccines. And again, this is the technology that is in the Moderna and BioNTech vaccines um, there's messenger RNA vaccines in progress now for the flu, for malaria, and for many years they were being studied, messenger RNA, for um, as a treatment for cancer. So I think, I think we are definitely going to see um, new therapeutics and new treatments that give us better options to deal with, um, you know, some of the pathogens that exist uh, and that we know of. There's also a whole bunch of viruses and a whole bunch of pathogens that Thank goodness we, we haven't uh, even come into contact with. Um, and another really interesting application of this is aging. Synthetic biology uh, is probably going to make aging kind of a treatable problem. Um, there are some researchers who are working on pretty interesting therapies that are related to cellular decay. And what they're trying to do is reverse obesity, tackle diabetes, while also improving your kidney function, your heart function. Um, and so far, the, the technique that they're using is already working in mice. What will synthetic biology do for organ replacements? Would they, will they create different organs? So, yeah, this is another really interesting area. There's something called a body on a chip. So imagine, if you will, a translucent almost like a piece of plastic, something the size of a stick of gum, uh, an old, old stick of gum. And, um, you know, researchers are able to create what are called organoids. These are tiny, sometimes microscopic blobs of tissue that function the same as the, the tissue that's inside of your body. So they can make, like, tiny circulatory systems or tiny reproductive systems Um, or tiny respiratory systems, tiny lung cells, heart cells, and and, um, vascular cells to connect them. And what this does is give us the ability to test toxins or therapeutics in a really safe way to see how it impacts our body without having to do those trials on animals or or people. Um, So that's, that's like a tiny organ. But even in the past couple of weeks, there have been some terrific... Um, successes in growing, for example, hearts um, and inside of pigs. Uh, right. Humans' organs are remarkably similar to the organs that, that grow inside of pigs. Um, and, and again, this gives us some, some more options than we would have had previously. Amy, what is fueling this science? What's pushing it? Well, I think a couple of things. Um, this is a relatively new area of science, but it's been in progress now for a couple of decades. The human genome was just, um, the first draft of it was finished in the early 2000s, and it was um, announced that it's mostly complete as of last year. So we've really come a long way in the past two decades, and now that we kind of have the source code to human life, it's giving us the ability to start to do something with it. Um, so I think that's, that's part of what's fueling all of the interest Obviously, this pandemic has shifted where investors are putting their money and where some of the scientific community is doing its research. Yeah. 
Um, so I think you've got this flood of capital. You've got heightened awareness of what this technology can do. And we have real existential threats on the horizon. Uh, we've got climate change we have to deal with and extreme weather events. We're going to have to figure out where to get our food. Um, so a lot of what's being researched now is to help make us more resilient as we continue to live on the planet. Instead of eating that steak, we'll be eating some kind of uh, synthetic cardboard or something, won't we? <laughs> All right. So listen, you and I, you grew up, you're from Detroit, right? Uh, I sure am. Okay. So I'm from, the, I'm from outside of Chicago. Um, and my, my family, part of my family was in Niles. So I think you and I are sort of grew up in a similar region where if I went home and told people, hey, we should, we should get our steak out of a lab versus from a farm, I think. Not going to happen. Exactly. They'd gag themselves. Totally, right? Okay, especially, or dairy here. You, this is even better. Not, to be fair, on the other side of the lake uh, in Wisconsin, they care a little bit more, I think, about cheese. But um, we just had the Super Bowl, and Americans ate, I think, something around 1.4 billion chicken wings. That is incredibly resource intensive to grow that many chickens. Um, oh my god! To, yeah. to get them, yeah, and like get them ready, and you know, it's not necessarily the greatest thing for a chicken, uh, not the most humane. But but everybody wants the wings. Well, what if instead of using all the resources it takes to grow live chickens, instead we started with a stem cell from a chicken, and we created meat in a bioreactor, which I know, again, sounds like like there's no way. You're right. My relatives are going to be like, you want me to do what? But but it uses the same amino acids to nourish those cells as they grow. There's no hormones, no antibiotics. And within a couple of weeks, you get tissue that tastes just like a chicken wing that you would have gotten from a chicken that clucked, Um, has the same texture, maybe the same consistency, uh, but was created just in a different way. Um, I think that that is a terrific option. It's potentially healthier meat. It's potentially better meat. I mean, let's face it, commercial chickens don't taste that great because they're, they're grown rapidly. And at some point, we'll be able to scale this and make it much cheaper. Um, and at that point, if you can get cheaper meat local to where you grew up, there's no, no hormones, there's no antibiotics, then I think that becomes a pretty viable option. Could, could we not create a chicken with 20 wings instead of two? <laughs> uh, that is an awesome question. Uh, I think we probably could do that, except that um, I think that, that would be probably more challenging than just growing the, 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 the cellular-based meat that uh, we could grow in a bioreactor. But I totally get the, I, I, listen, believe me, I, I get the skepticism. They've made billions of dollars on the COVID vaccines, Big Pharma has. Would they support this kind of movement of the, you know, synthetic biology, or would they be put out of business? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think there are, this ecosystem on the business side is just starting to develop. So some of the funders and some of the companies that are interested in this research are those um, those big companies, uh, in part because they've, they've got the money to do the research. I mean, one of the problems that we have in the United States is that our government has not been funding basic research, basic research in science and technology for decades. And we're, we're pretty far behind other um, big economies around the world in 
our approach to funding and definitely our approach to long-term planning. So that doesn't leave us a lot of options. The money's got to come from somewhere if we want to stay competitive and if we want to benefit from, you know, what's on the horizon. Um, I think that it's possible that that the, <laughs> you know, if there's a lot of success, especially in therapeutics, that starts to erode and possibly even break the business models of some of these companies. Um, but I also know that they we're on a long-term horizon, so there's there's time to plan and, and figure things out. Are there companies that specialize in synthetic biology, Amy? There sure are. Um, and I think it's important to note that there's the products, uh, like the synthetic chicken wings, for example, and then there's the process, which is the infrastructure, um, the tools, basically all the things that you need in order to... Uh, to make the ecosystem work. So just as a quick example, um, there's a company in China called BGI, and they are one of the largest companies in the world for genome sequencing. So this is basically uh, figuring out um, what the, the code is for a particular genome. Now, in the year 2006, to get a high-quality draft of a human genome, it cost $14 million dollars. Um, and a finished, really good sequence might cost between twenty and twenty-five million dollars. Just a couple of years ago, the cost for a finished sequence dropped down to just four thousand dollars. And today, BGI can sequence a genome for a hundred bucks, which is basically Jeez. you know less than the price of a pair of Nike Air Jordans. Um, so there are companies that do sequencing. There are companies that do what's called synthesis, which is taking all that genetic code and and um, putting it together. There are companies in the United States that are phenomenal, Twist, Bioscience, and, and Ginkgo Bioworks. And then there's the companies that are making products. Um, so Eat Just is a company that is making synthetic meat. Um, there are companies that are making synthetic, this is kind of crazy, synthetic cheese. So it's still got the same code as any other cheese, but it has no uh, it, it was not. It didn't require a cow to make it, um, which again is, you know, kind of crazy if you think about it. What's the downside to some of this, Amy? What's the dark part yeah. of this? So, listen. I I know I'm painting kind of a rosy picture here, and I believe that there is a rosy picture to be had, but there are significant risks. Um, in the book, we identify nine risks, and I can highlight a few here. Sure. First of all, there's something called gain-of-function research. So this is where scientists intentionally mutate um, viruses or they try to make something sort of as, as bad as it can be, and they do this within the confines of a lab, and it's supposed to be in a controlled environment. Um, and that's, I think, for the purpose of planning, or at least that's what we've been told. Um, and And I don't see that there's a big... There's, there's a reason to do that in the year 2022 when we've got predictive analytic systems and AI that can help us run simulations. In 2011, there was a researcher in Rotterdam that announced that he had augmented the H5N1 bird flu virus um, so that it could be transmitted from birds to humans and then between people as a new deadly strain of the flu. Now, pre-COVID, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to remember this, but pre-COVID, H5N1 was actually the worst virus to hit our planet since the Spanish flu. It had a super high mortality rate. 
So this scientist in Rotterdam literally told his fellow researchers that he'd mutated the hell, his words, out of H5N1 to see what it could do in the name of predicting mutations and developing cures. But that's really stupid. <laughs> we, we don't need to do that type of work, and it, and it really should not be done. Um, so that's a big risk, and synthetic biology enables that. turns out DNA is a security risk. Um, in the future, you know, our, some of the worst security breaches could actually involve DNA. Um, you can scrape somebody's genetic code, <clears throat> uh, sequence it, and then, you know, create a targeted virus for one person. Um, wow. and, a, and a virus doesn't have to be deadly to be debilitating, right? You could create, you you could you could create a virus that might give a CEO chronic diarrhea, or or, um, or paralyze him, or something. Or like paralyze exactly, right? And and that could that would obviously be horrible for the CEO, but this could potentially you know really destroy the financial markets temporarily. Things like that, not to mention the company. Well, I'm uh, I'm, you, I'm convinced okay. COVID nineteen was made in that Wuhan lab. I mean, that is something that a lot of people have been wondering, and I will tell you this. I said that in December of 2019, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you were a little, you know, you're probably early in, in thinking that through. I completely understand where that sentiment comes from, and I think, unfortunately, we're probably never going to know if it was the result of research or gain-of-function research or something that appeared naturally. And that's because, as we all know, uh, the government of China locked out the outside world and just I, w- I wonder why. Yeah. So um, at this point, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, like, again, there's, there's just no reason to be doing gain-of-function research. Um, but it doesn't, it shouldn't stop us from investing in and and researching synthetic biology, uh, which is going to provide us, you know, but we got to do this with guardrails. And I, I, that one other, I think, quick, important risk, and that's that we have different regulatory structures. So in the U.S., there's been kind of a back and forth, depending on who was in office at the time, of uh, what to fund and whether or not to use stem cells and things like that. And, you know, it's really unfortunate, but in the U.S., science and politics are unfortunately intertwined, um, and that has really put us behind other company countries, notably China, yeah. which has a very different approach to regulation. Um, biology doesn't doesn't care about regulations. You know, biology tends to to self sustain. So we're going to have to come up with guardrails, restrictions, and rules that we can enforce and that are consistent all around the world. Um, and I think we're we're not quite there yet, and that is a risk. Somebody's going to abuse this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no question. I think I, that what does not keep me up at night, um, and times when I'm not up for the show, what, the re, you know what doesn't keep me up at night is that uh, at the moment this is not really a do 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 it yourself um, technology. You you need to have quite a bit of knowledge. So I think it's this is not the kind of thing where a Teenager can inject malware into uh, into you know the code for life, right. but that's today. Things may be different in a couple of years. So yeah, we absolutely need to start really thinking through how to how to protect ourselves. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at one a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.